Welcome to Using Your Egg Noggin, a holiday podcast for edgy teens and confused college grads on what it means to be using our mind for various aspects of life that we may take for granted, yet we feel so deeply about. My name is Saran, and along with my co-hosts, Ashwin, Maddie, and Eugenia, we'll be discussing a lot of topics. But first off, what it is that our brain is going through when we're processing emotions and our reactions to them. We'll be thinking about our feelings, we'll be talking about how we react to those feelings, and most importantly, we'll be talking about how we're doing all of that in the midst of COVID-19 and a very complicated holiday season. We hope you stick around as you join us. first episode, Ashwin and Saran will be discussing about some of the values that they hold true to themselves and want to apply to a lot of their actions. Unfortunately, as our noggins tell us, it's not always that easy. Our values, as complicated as they are and as socialized as they are by the people around us, don't always end up coming into play when we're trying to practice them. Is this complicated question that Ashwin and Saran are trying to decipher as they have this discussion. Ashwin's about to launch into it, so let's get right to it and figure out, you know, if we had a set of values, what would that really look like? Ashwin's going to take it away. To rank order them. Like, he just wanted a short list. Like, these are the only values you, you like, we're going to, you're going to like, sure. be forced to have, like, what would they be? That's a really interesting question. So for me, whenever I think of like core values, I don't know how you, in elementary school, if they had you like say like three things that your school was like, respect, mutual, I don't know, like something else. And then they say like integrity, right? And like, yeah. that was like your school motto or your like core values. And I know like even like universities have them and like workplaces have them, but no yeah. one ever really remembers the three once you're like out of elementary school. In the same way, I think when people are like finding a good partner means finding someone that like shares your values. Finding a work that's good for you is a place that shares your values. It's like a very abstract thing. And sometimes that means just like considering that everything has a degree of when those values are important to you and when they're not as much, right? Like, I think the concept of core values is one of those things where over time it does evolve, even if you haven't realized that for yourself. That being said, I do think like some values are just so socialized where it's like integrally like part of your life um, to like some capacity, right? Like you're always going to be like the value of empathy or, you know, the value of, I don't know, responsibility for your own actions. Like that might've been something socialized very differently for, you know, an empath, maybe like they had people that they were around a lot and they were able to socialize and like feel for other people very early on versus like, if you grew up as like an independent person, maybe you're an only child, maybe you learn to take responsibility for yourself more rather than, you know, someone in a household with a ton of siblings or something like that. But I think, at the end of the day only we can tell ourselves like you know this is what i think is most important 
but actually putting that into practice is a lot harder. Um, and so I think it's like, you should evaluate and you should consider like, what are that short list of values you care about? I think more importantly is like, think about instances or actions where you had to implement said value. And if you can live by, in some ways it sounds bad, like living by your past, but I think there are ways like living by the lessons you've learned in your life and seeing like which values you implemented or which values you forgot about and which values you want to have, like that's more meaningful. Cause like at the end of the day, it's not just something that's a short list. So that's my long winded answer of saying like, I don't really believe in the value of short lists. <laughs> if I could, I guess, take a lot of lessons from before and put them together. One of the values I think I would, I would preach maybe is self-reliance. Um, I think it's really hard to, as like a person like myself, like I don't really like being by myself. Like I'm a social person and like, I don't know, like a lot of my work involves people and like, I don't really like traveling alone. I don't like doing a lot of things on my own. I don't like sitting with my own thoughts, except like journaling, like, but I think at the end of the day, one of those things is just like, no one else is going to be there besides yourself for yourself at the end of it all. Um, it's just the way life is shittily structured is like the way you have to go out in the world and not saying like, this is the only way to do it, but the way I think like in modern society and like getting a job and like making your own life from whatever and like not continuing, you know, traditions or not continuing like family legacies or like whatever, like that used to be kind of more emphasized in the past or maybe is more emphasized in some cultures still than it is in America. But I think like that kind of independent driven mindset means that you do have to be self-reliant and like, that's not a bad thing. Um, it just means like you need to know where your boundaries are in life and like what you need to do versus what other people need to do. And like, it doesn't always have to be the same thing. Um, the second value I think is really critical though is just the value of like, I wouldn't say selflessness as much as I would say just like the value of not being self-centered uh, which almost seems counterintuitive to the first part. I think you need to be self-reliant, but I don't think you should be self-centered. And I think like the reason is that if we orient ourselves to just us as like people and like not to the world around us, we don't see half of like what needs to be seen to like make informed decisions that needs to be made to like, I would say do something valuable in life, right? Like I think that is such a critical value because it's a value of like the world that you are on and therefore you need to like give a damn about because you can't just orient yourselves toward being yourself as a person. Um, and that goes hand in hand with those other values of like I think empathy and just like love and compassion and like all those other things that you can feel for people. But it really relies on like not orienting the world towards yourself sometimes and orienting it towards the people around you or like places around you or nature. Um, so I would say like that's a second core value. If I could pick a third, just kind of abstractly, I would say my third value is forgiveness. Um, and I mean this both in like every sense of the word. Um, I think I'm a person who believes that people change, but I'm also a person that believes that like the only way to really get to peace is to actually forgive and to get there. 
Um, and I think forgiveness in the sense of like, not like an apologetic sense, but a reconciliatory sense is like completely different. Like you don't need to forgive someone for an action that they did, but you can still forgive the person um, for like who they are and like who they want to be. Um, and I think like that part of restoration and like reconciliation is like something I think is just essential to every part of life. It's not even just in like a conflict setting or like criminal justice setting, or even in like a relational setting. If someone cheats on someone, I think like it goes beyond that. Cause it's like, you are never going to be able to get over a grudge or you're not going to be able to get over the people who have wronged you in life. if like, you're just inherently host a lot of hatred for the world. Um, and part of not being self-centered or self-oriented is like letting that hate drive you. I think like vengeance is powerful or like, like being angry at something is important, but I don't think it's productive at the end of the day. Like I'm fully someone who believes that like there needs to be movements that are inspired maybe by like revenge, but like, that's not their sole cause. Like they believe in a better future that they believe that there is reconciliation at the end of it. Like that there is a next step. And so if you hate someone and you harbor that and like you aren't able to forgive, like what is that next step? Like there needs to be forgiveness to get to that next step. So that's an ultimate third belief I have. So I'd say self-reliance, be your own person. Uh, don't live for others, but at the same time, don't live on your own, like live with the world around you. And then lastly is like, don't forget, but do forgive. Just like be who you're supposed to be. And, you know, sometimes people won't like that. Sometimes people butt heads with you. But at the end of the day, don't harbor that hate because it's not going to be productive. You know, you can make fun of it. You can move on. You can talk to that person one day when you're ready. But like, it's better to reconcile that so that you can focus on those other two values. But yeah, yeah. I would say that those are my primary three. If you made me answer that question, okay. If I flip the question to be like, um, not what values do you hold up, but what values do you reflect in your actions already? Mm. Would you say it's the same list or no? I would say it's a different list, which okay. is actually a great point. Um. I do think the second one is probably the most apparent in my actions. But when I say three values, it's because I need to work on number one and three mm -hmm. um, in my okay. own actions. And I think like I fully recognize that like as much as I am a person who's very oriented towards others, I'm very empathetic. I have a lot of friends. I care about people like that's where I get most of my happiness from. I have a really hard time forgiving people for past mistakes. Um, and I think part of it comes from the fact that I'm so deeply hurt by people and like my feelings are very strong. But at the same time, I recognize over time that a lot of my inabilities to forgive people has also led me to making similar mistakes or making similar relationships just kind of toxic when they didn't need to be. Um, and a lot of that comes from my inability to kind of get over this like mental barrier I've made myself like I just will not forgive people for doing some things. And then like, as soon as I see those patterns again, like it drives kind of a wedge between me and some other people. Um, and I think like that's a dangerous pattern because like once patterns are repeated, you're essentially creating the cataclysm of problems, right? Um, and so I think with the third one, I would say it's less reflected in my actions. My first belief, which is self-reliance, 
has also been incredibly hard. Uh, and I think it's because I prioritize my second value of like being less self-centered to the point where it kind of, I would say just consumes parts of like the first value, just like taking over aspects of my own self-reliance because I really care about other people. I want to live oriented towards their needs and my communities. And I really care about like what I get involved in. At the same time, I care too much about what others think of myself. So is a lot of what I do actually a self-reliant as I say I am? Like that's really hard. Um, so I think for folks who are, you know, naturally empaths or just like people who care a lot about other people, like people who do a lot of service work, people who are involved in like nonprofits, medical medicine, like I don't know, a lot of those like service-oriented professions like teaching, um, they talk a lot about burnout. It's like the most common, I guess, work-related just aspect of a lot, not just saying to like service-centered employment, but like especially in places where you're servicing a large group of people that you're not servicing yourself or, you know, something else. Um, that leads to a lot of burnout because you're constantly focusing on what other people need and not what you're, you as your person, like what you yourself needs. Um, so I would say like that is definitely one of those things that I feel a lot. And I, I feel that kind of empathy fatigue and like a lot of those just tensions with like, what is the individual need? What is, you know, my clients need? What do, what do my community around me? Like, what do they need? Like that is all kind of never, I guess in a seeming, seeming less way, it's, it's always very much in conflict or in conversation with each other. Um, and sometimes it seems like one aspect is taking more over the other aspects as well, um, which, which makes it hard, which is why having that first value of self-reliance is something I'm trying to prioritize, but it comes into conflict a lot with that second value of being less self-oriented. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, what do you what do you think is um, I guess your three values if you originally were gonna stick with the question, and then what were your three I guess more realistic or more based on your experience, or are they the same for you? So, if it isn't already clear, I really love the word pragmatic, but the idea is like <laughs> I've picked the values that I have because they work for me, so I'm mm -hmm. picking them. I, Okay. I pick them based on what's work, and then I set them as ideals. So they're, okay. they're the same list. And then also just a little bit of idealism. So I think the first one would be loyalty. Mm -hmm. It's strange because it doesn't... You could see someone hyper-rational being like, oh, loyalty is just like, you know, tri like tribe mentality, right? Yeah but I see it as like, know where you came from, right? Like, like know yourself, but like know yourself in the, in your, in your place. So like recognize who, who's helped you to, to get to where you are and like reciprocate that. So I think I try to make it a point that if people ask for my help, then I will, I will try to give it to them. Mm, got um, it. I think there's also like an interesting distinction here between like friendship and family loyalty because mm -hmm. like family is just like they're who you're with like, like it's it's default in that sense 
Like, yeah, yeah, it's default. It's... Like, it, the default setting is if I know you, then, like, I offer you, I will extend, like, some amount of, you know, loyalty going both ways. So, if, like, you want something from yeah. me and you help me, then, you know, very reciprocal. Yeah. And then the closer you are, like, the more, like, I'd be willing to drop yeah. for you. So, I think that's, like, a top one, probably. Is there a reason it's your top one, you think? I guess we can discuss that after you discuss your others, but. Oh, no, no, yeah. Um, I think it's just a good one to have at the top. Like, mm-hmm. like it would be, as in it's a priority, you know? Right. I wouldn't want to put anything above that because, yeah, that's what it should be at the top. Just like the aspect of like being there for the people who need you most in life. Or... Yeah, because it's like if loyalty is not your first, then that means like you care about something more, right? So if it's like, exactly. oh, it's, if it's between like, oh, you and then this other value that I have, yeah, right. it'd be like it wouldn't quite work that way. I see, I see. At least that's how I see it. So that's why I put it at the top. The second one, I'd say perspective. Like, I, I've um, kind of given up on the idea of anything being like, true capital t true or mm-hmm. capital f false and so uh i just see it more as people have different perspectives on how things um go and and i think that's what do you call this encompassing value again oh perspective just perspective Got it. perspective so um i see it as like other people have interesting ways of looking at the world they could just be purely intellectually stimulating or it could be like um useful and useful because they've seen something that I haven't. So I try to imagine like there's an entire world of, of ideas and views and, and ways of being or living that I could draw upon. Absolutely. And like reserve the, like I'll, I'll always say like, I don't know, like I could be doing better. Like you might have something that I just haven't seen yet. And I will consider it. And then if I like it or I think it's useful, then it'll be a part of me. And it's yeah. not like I don't have to do anything about it, right? I could be like, um, that's not for me. Yeah. That's but the value is like, don't ever feel like you know before um, before giving it like a good look. I, I definitely want to expand on that one later. That one's interesting. I think we could poke a lot of yeah. holes in the world with yeah. that one. The third one, I'm trying to decide between two. Either. Hey, feel free to say oh, both. Okay. Don't think. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, a... so, yeah. Okay. So, if I had to prioritize, I might say the third one would be like calm. Like, I think as a value, it's just good to be even, even keeled, like cool as a cucumber. <laughs> it just helps to be in a stable sure. place when you're looking at the world. Got and that it. also plays into like a lot of philosophies where, you know, even when things are going well, you should try to maintain your right. current level. You know, like where things are going poorly, people feel attached to those things. They, they feel sad. And if things are going well, mm-hmm. then they feel happy. So in Definitely. the worst case, you're like in this weird oscillatory mood where like you're just tracking how random events that you have no control over mm-hmm. are going, right? Yeah. So... Um, there's like a couple, oh, there's a really good quote um, by Marcus Aurelius <laughs> on this. It just really resonated with me. Let me see. 
to, so the, the quote just starts like this, to be like the rock that the waves keep crashing over. It stands unmoved and the raging of the sea is still around it. That's right. Yeah, familiar with the quote. It's just the ability to kind of like amidst all the stress and all like the immediate tension, like even like if you think about like athletes and stuff, like the amount of calm and cool that you need to have to like perform well um, is something that like we don't practice in our yeah. own lives when we're like thinking about how to approach some terrifying tasks too. And like it comes up every day. So yeah, it's a great one. And then maybe the last one would be courtesy. I think it's just like a general thing. I just like courtesy. Okay. I just like being like it just seems like a thing that you should try to explain to people. Like etiquette can be kind of like fussy and you know elitist. Like you know, like I'm not talking about like Victorian England, like oh you know forks and knives on the dining table and stuff like that. But just like because okay, I I don't actually like the word respect. uh, I don't know something about it doesn't like resonate with me. I just don't buy into the into it. But, But but courtesy does. But courtesy, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give courtesy. Like, you don't have my... I'm not going to give you my respect. That, that makes it seem like I'm looking up to you somehow. Like, you need to earn my respect. But I will give you courtesy for free. Got it, got it, got it. Because yeah. on the flip side, I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, wouldn't it be kind of rude to not respect, like, like respect all genders, respect all sexualities, respect, like, you know, like when we say, like, respect all kinds, like, that's kind mm. of like something... I think like, it's, wouldn't courtesy kind of be a little like eh, that's not like deep enough or would you say like you do respect all those things and courtesy is just more like how you interact with like interpersonal relations usually rather than like thematic things so i think the the complexity here is in how do how should we distinguish individuals from groups right so for example so the problem with this stereotype, right, is that you're applying a statement that should work to just an individual, and then you just toss it over the group, right? So right. we don't don't like them because it's very um, presumptuous, right? Right. Um, so I feel like respect kind of um, it's like that in reverse. Like just because I just because you're mm-hmm. a um, like I'm not going to presume to know anything about you until I meet you. That's right. So you don't just get my respect because I don't know what kind of person you are. Oh, sorry. I think I lagged out there. No, no, no. I, yeah, I like, I'm not, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. So then like when, but when I meet you, I don't feel like it would be productive or useful for me to like just, you know. Sure. It's like benefit of the doubt, right? You just assume that people are cooperative until they show otherwise. And, yeah. and so courtesy has nothing to do with like who you, who you are. Like that's just something okay. you, you, I would I would give independent of who you are. And then if I like find out about you, if I think you're cool, if I think there's, you know, then then you get respect. Got it. It's yeah. kudos to you for kind of figuring out what like the, I guess the scaffolding upward is there in that case is if it is upward, but I guess like respect is something to be earned. At the end of the day, um, and then I'll just quickly toss in yeah, bravery, but uh, that's my list. That's All my list. right. Well, I like your list. I think my my question, I guess, to follow up with your list is, what what do you do when your values 
come into conflict because I think some of them you totally could like I think you have this thing about loyalty um you know standing up for your friends or whatever Mm -hmm. um but what do you do if like I don't know if like what if that second or like even that fourth value like what if your friend is just not a courteous person like what if they're just kind of an asshole um Mm. do you still stand up for your friend like what what is a situation where you've had to do that or where your loyalty has been tested that's a good question i'm gonna go on a bit of a tangent here okay so moral questions are really interesting to me because i'm convinced that most of the time you're not people or at least for me and i'm just going to assume that this works for other people too you're not actually thinking about moral questions like when you go to starbucks and you buy a coffee right Right. There are all sorts of moral questions that could be asked at that time. Right. Where's your coffee from? Um, yeah, where's it from? Time. Like, how did it get here? Blah, 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 right? And so yeah. some people will ask the question like, oh, where did this milk come from? Or, you know, they, they might ask the question and then um, make decisions based on that, right? right? But most of the time, I don't think you're engaging your moral brain, right? Like, you're just, if you're just walking down the street, sure. um, just in sorts of all sorts of everyday situations, right? Like you just, you're just tuned out of it. So your morals are mostly intuitions, I think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of making these snap judgments most of the time. And so when a situation presents itself that's difficult, then you engage like your um, system two brain, I think Daniel Kahneman calls it, where you're like actually going to try to figure out how to resolve the issue here. Got it. But uh, there's this guy named Jonathan Haidt. He's like a psychologist, philosopher, and his mm. his like PhD thesis was about trying to trying to get people to pin down the exact reasons why they feel something is moral or immoral. And it turns out, like uh, according to his research, people basically just um, they just have an intuitive reason why I think something is right or wrong, but they can't point out exactly what the reasons are. So if you give them a situation where you start to like filter out the, the reasons why something might seem immoral, then they just can't really point out to you why they don't like that situation. Absolutely. Um, so it seems to me that like, yeah, there are situations in which my values could conflict. They haven't shown up so far, so I haven't thought about it too much. Nice. If they did show up, I'd be kind of hypocritical if I gave like, <laughs> ways to resolve them sure it would be interesting to think about hypothetical situations and maybe you know maybe if i consider them now i would go into Mm -hmm. them with that mindset to take the example that you gave about like a a friend who's not courteous i might wonder like oh is this really someone who i wanted to have as a friend or the question could be like does my value courtesy need to extend to that person like if they're not courteous is that a that's their choice, right? Like, um, right. like, do they, do I need all the people around me to reflect my values? So I'd probably say, um, I just think about how that person makes me feel and then how I think they're making people around them feel. And if they seem to be like being rude when they don't need to be, then maybe the first thing you do be just talking to them about it and not make it like a, my values, your values thing. Good point. Nice. I, I think this whole thing about moral questions, though, 
it's particularly interesting because we always think about morals kind of based on I guess like socialized things in our life right like you grew up watching I don't know like program television for children it's always like ingrained into like moral values or like you learn from Sesame Street right um you know we're South Asian and like we're thinking about like you know in our culture like morals have been taught through like religious texts like the Bhagavad Gita you had the Mahabharata which is like one of the most like I guess like moralistic tales you can tell like you know your children growing up about like why loyalty to God and like loyalty to the family is like paramount to like even something like its core is forgiveness maybe um and like there are all these kind of like ways that morals have just been shaped that I think is so interesting because like inherently moralism is like very relativistic and as in like most philosophy I think where a lot of it is defined and redefined constantly um by like the other theories around it and like the other kind of conceptions about morals right like I can tell with fair certainty in my own life at least like I've been alive for 20 years but like morals have dramatically shifted in terms of like what people prioritize in America compared to what they prioritize when I was like eight years old, right? Like a value of like patriotism meant something totally different back then maybe than it means right now. Maybe like values and morals are kind of different in that regard. And morals kind of have to have like an applicable lens to a situation or a way of life. Um, there's values can be kind of more just ingrained beliefs. But it's like you said, I don't think most people really think twice about what their morals are because it's just clear to them right like and I think a lot of that you know is clear to them not because of themselves I think it's like literally because we're part of societies we're like we're kind of shown the way that the world works um like you're taught that you know this is the way friendship works you're taught that this is the way that love works which is why the idea of like counterculture like moral relativism is so interesting to me because like you have had such big shifts in like society just like even certain things that's like immoral right gay marriage um taking things like abortion in an american context especially because a lot of those things were ingrained in kind of religious conversation um that conservatives have propagated and have made morals something that's inherently political too um which is really interesting because i think it really makes you question just to what degree like and you know it's part of my french but like who the fuck gets to say what morals are and aren't you know like like whose power is it at the end of the day like do we rely on the bible do we rely on i don't know like theorists philosophers the kantians like like who is it at the end of the day that dictates it and it's really just ourselves like at the core of it is like doing what feels right to you um and I think that will sometimes clash with society's expectations. And like, that is why there are like this kind of war of cultures, um, you know, like this idea of like, you know, something that needs to be more based on, you know, family values versus individual values versus science versus like whatever. But those culture wars are always gonna be kind of part of, I just guess the way that we discuss morals because they are so, not defined right like they are so subject to change and subject to personalization and subject to politicization so 
I think it's you're absolutely right, and I don't know why I had to go on such a long tangent. Other than to say that, like, a lot of it is BS, right? Like, yeah. a lot of it is BS that, you know, in the sense that most things are constructs, but I think especially with morals, they're a construct that implies some sort of action, right? And like, I think why morals are so interesting is because like they define so much of our life. Laws are based on morals. Morals kind of shape. The expectations around relationships, around marriage, around all these other things, right? It just really gets you thinking, like, okay, if I start thinking about, you know, something so simple, like three values, is what you asked me. No, I can't tell you. Like, if we went around and asked people, like, what morals they believe in, I'm sure they wouldn't really have the right, you know. I wouldn't say mindset, but they wouldn't have like the, you know, the answer off the top of their head. Right, it's just like this feels right to me, and like this is what I believe in. But why? I'm not sure because it's like been such an apparent aspect of so many different parts of life, and I think that's crazy. What you said is triggered like a million different things in my head. <laughs> so many interesting things we could talk about from there. Maybe I'll I'll give you like a interesting take hey. on. How to think about morality please do please do so, i think uh we, we've discussed quite a few topics so far but this one's definitely very intriguing yeah yeah so are you familiar with like game theory like a little bit a little bit yeah so the idea is you just you just think about players in a game and there's some scores they can build up you call them utility and you just want to maximize your utility and the interesting thing is, how do you play your game when other people are involved, right? Um, oh, sorry. The first thing I wanted to say is, I don't actually think laws and morals are, um, I think they're totally like uh, not correlated. So you can have laws that are moral, laws that are immoral. Um, wait, what is, yeah. Something can be moral or immoral, and it can be part of the law or not the law. Those are totally separate, I think. Right. So I think the law is just set up for us to have like a generally functioning social environment. For example, the law doesn't say that you can't lie. But I fraud mean, is a thing and libel is a thing. Fraud, yes. Fr okay. I'll have to re scope that statement in a different way. I think my argument isn't that they're equivalent either. It's more so that they are influenced. Oh yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. They're in, I'm, I'm they just moral um, codes. I just wanted to separate them. Yeah, no, I think that's wise. Yeah. I think it'd yeah. be wrong to not separate them to some degree. Um, well, so yeah, the point being that I think morals kind of come up naturally because, right? Um, they're yeah part of like these games that we're playing, right? But other people. Okay. okay. And so yes, um, I think one interesting result in game theory is just basically like, if you cooperate and other people cooperate, you can do like a lot of cool things right and, and the problem is basically once you defect for, okay for example the prisoner's dilemma right this is a setup where you've got two people yeah. and they can rat on each other or they can yeah. help or you know whatever but if one person fesses up they right. get the reduced sentence if both they're kind of screwed right. so if you're just playing one game if you're just playing one game then you should just defect um that's pretty much how this works but suppose you're playing a prisoner's dilemma game with the same person over and over again. Okay, then um, 
the strategy seems to be like, just keep cooperating until someone defects. And then you do like a revenge thing where it's like, okay, I can't trust you anymore. So, you know, that's it. So the whole thing of morality is like, yeah, if we just had one-off games with people, then like, who cares about morality, right? And, and I think this is why like on the internet when you're anonymous and you can just like do things to people and it won't be tracked back to you. That's why we see like all sorts of weird behavior because it just doesn't come back to bite you in the way that you think it will, right? Whereas like, if you're interacting with people, they can see your face. So like you have yeah. a vested interest in making sure that people want to continue to play games with you. Not, not just like Monopoly, like board games, right? But like, you know, work is a game. Yeah. Life is a game. Like all these things are, right. you can think of everything as a game. And so your goal is to Absolutely. make it so that people will want to continue to play with you. And then you can both, um, leave with something you didn't have good thing okay so if you were like super rational right and you were thinking about these like formalized games then you might come to the conclusion something like um like kant right like uh like categorical maxim right like we're all rational people let's only behave in such a way that other rational people would behave right maybe you come up with some conclusion like that yeah but we don't live in a world where people are totally rational and people are not formalizing these games and so there's like a behavioral thing to this, right? Like how do people actually behave? Like what do they actually do when in these situations? And that's, that's what we find ourselves in. It's where people have like these just intuitions that are like kind of maybe built up over evolution or just hunter-gatherer society, whatever it might be, right? We just learn like, oh, um, killing a guy in that tribe is good if they come attack mm. us. Killing someone in your own tribe, that's good. Okay, okay. These are like just rules that kind of pop up and we just learn yeah. to True. go with them which is why they're intuitions right? you just like you're just like oh that's instinctively good or bad but you can't give the reasons for it it's just that's just how you feel because feeling that way has led us to survive wow and so the way that the different i guess like intuitive responses occur is this because like people have played the game a certain way over a period of time like that's the default yeah, or like i'd say so the intuitions are just like yeah we've played the game this way and so we've made them rules kind of without realizing why they were there and so maybe so, the job um, of a philosopher is to wonder okay is this right. rule really needed like was this really part of how we're functioning or is it just um yeah some weird thing that we like you know came up with like it's interesting to look at um certain religious texts in this way like the rules that they came up with and try to figure out like why might that be For, yeah, i think like you're not supposed to eat shellfish or something in the bible maybe that has to do with like the health of that right or like eating pork right i think it's a yeah, very unsafe Judaism thing to eat. Islam, yeah. right so they can all be like rules that were that people came up with because they found it would help everyone yeah but maybe now it doesn't have to be that rule and we we have reasons to point to why that or isn't the case that's a great point yeah no that really got me thinking too about you know not related to that connection between the law i would say but like the the moral code that drives society and how i guess differentiated the norms in like quote-unquote western versus quote-unquote eastern cultures are in a lot of ways it's based on like the way that the game is played right and like i think 
you know, when I think of a lot of South Asian culture, especially, but also in a lot of Asian identity cultures, there is this huge, tremendous value placed on the family as a whole. And like everything that is moral is in line with whatever the family needs to kind of keep its prestige, maintain some level of tradition or power in that society. Versus I think like a moral in America is ability to just be independent um, and like kind of like that in of itself is not a moral, but the moral reasoning related to that is like doing things kind of on your own, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, like everything you do should be your own, right? Versus like everything you should do should like be for your family or should be for your people. And I think like it's so... I guess weird to me that like these things are not set rules like you said have become like socialized just like moral codes like this is the way things have been done this is the way that things need to be done and like that's when like marriage is something very class-based not only in eastern societies like totally is in western society too but like it's much more prioritized as like a way to familial familial continuity. Like it's an aspect of familial continuity in a lot of Eastern cultures. And I don't want to like set this dichotomy that doesn't need to exist between like the East and the West, like or propose any sort of Orientalism. Like that's not the point of this. But like the point of this is to just say that like moral codes affect so many other aspects of life and just like con- continuing to define like what individual action should be even when like we don't really know what led our ancestors to be like so obsessed with like half the things that they were like obsessed with like we don't know why family structures are so rigid in some places and like much more liberal in others and like you know why family structures in some places are entirely patriarchal and others they're matrilineal like we don't really understand how things came to be unless you like really look into the history of like each different like corner of the world but i think it's interesting that like we still live by a lot of those traditions and a lot of those expectations based on quote-unquote moral code where you know you either have to kind of live on your own and live by yourself or you live for your family and like you live for your community but a lot of that's just based on some like abstract value of like this is the most important thing this is the moral that should be most important and like the paramount ones dictate the paramount purpose of your life in some ways which is kind of crazy to think about but it's kind of the idea of like would we live life the same way if like we were not in society right like would you have a very different moral code if you weren't indoctrinated in the way that you are um i mean it's it's a rhetorical question because i don't think there really is ever an answer but it's like one of the situations where like the desert island theory like the whole lord of the fly situation like morals are thrown out the fucking window because like when it comes down to like survival and that situation particularly but it's like how much of that is actually just because like they have the power to reshape society and they have the power to redefine an entirely different code based on whatever they find is going to keep them alive and keep give them whatever is heightened advanced power that they want but isn't ingrained in just some of the basic don't kill don't harm ethics of society um 
I think that's what ethics is like one of those it's like you can spend years just digging into different philosophers and like never getting an answer it's like the core of it is just indecisiveness so I want to talk about a book and you can tell me if you what you think about just the thesis so it's called go The Moral Landscape it's by okay. Sam Harris this like philosopher neuroscientist guy and the thesis is that you can ground morality in science make it objective that's so just, want your, just want to get your take on that you can ground morality in science and make it objective yeah and then i can explain what how like the argument but i just want to see like what that as a historian i'm definitely skeptical as someone whose job it is to be like there are 10 multiple factors that complicate any other given causation yeah. theory in the world is my job like nothing is inherently as simple as we make it or linear or as you know positivist as we claim but i think moralism is like one of those things where i totally want there to be some sort of objective like this is moral this is not like i think we all are kind of desiring for that because like what, what do you pass on to your kids like what do you tell you know generations after you like what is important to learn like what is that you know intergenerational knowledge that needs to be passed on that isn't some awful moral that actually is harmful to keep in mind like you know why is like the pope having to go back on things that they've said for years like what are the moral codes that don't make sense anymore and what are the ones that are objectively the ones that do make the most sense like valuing human life in all forms like i feel like that should be objective but like i don't know to what degree there can be science around it like that seems pretty sus to me okay so the argument goes I'll have to do this as argument by analogy, which isn't great, but uh, sure. I think it'll get the rhetorical point across. So let's take something like health, right? Um, it's hard to say exactly what makes up health. It's like this category that includes a lot of different things. And so people will obviously disagree on what makes for a healthy person. Right? But let's just imagine the platonic ideals of health and maybe the the other extreme right okay let's say everything on this planet is just dead and if it's not dead then it's like on its way to die uh -huh. okay, okay that, so, that so like, this is like just the situation yeah yeah got it okay so like yeah just say everything is like rotting everything is rotting like um hungry sick starving whatever all the worst things you can think of that's on one end and then on the other end would be like um some like rainforest where like every every animal is like eating exactly how much mm -hmm. it should like um like the lion king you know that scene where he like mufasa's talking about like everything you can see and like the zebras eat the grass and then like we eat the zebras and then they, whatever right like maybe circle that is life. the circle of life so like those are the two ends right uh so then you can say at least some actions will point in a tendency to go one way or the other like like um let's say what would an example be oh okay if you like drop the nuclear bomb right like obviously that has a tendency to hit you towards the, the end of like everything dying sure. so in a similar like so um okay so that at least gets you some sense of which way to go 
So the, the reason it's called the moral landscape is you imagine like a, a like a like a literal landscape where the height is like how close you are to that platonic ideal. Got it. And so certain actions will orient you in a certain direction. And your idea, the, the idea would be like you follow, you try to follow the hills and valleys so that you try to get to some place that's kind of high up. So the analogy would be, okay, well-being is maybe the center for morality. Like, um, it's hard to say exactly what makes it well-being, but we could say something like, if everybody were cooperating and everyone felt like they had a meaning in life and was healthy and lived a long age, that would be the good ideal, the good. And on the other end would be like, everyone's just fighting all the time. Um, yeah, no one has any food. Right. So you could set a similar structure up and then say some actions will tend us towards one way and the other. There's also a landscape. There might be questions about um, like which exact step we should take, but, but it's something that we could chart out, right? We could try, try to figure out which actions have a tendency to produce which effects. And so then you could have a moral scientist, like someone whose job is to try to see like, do people enjoy life more? Do they cooperate more when certain things are set up? And so not everybody gets to make a statement about um, right. morality. They have, to, they have to back it up with some, some evidence that says, okay, if we behave like this, then what right. happens? Which is what we've been trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out through actions or something. Right. This, right. Yeah. It's an interesting theory. My, my personal thing is like, um, you have to get someone to hook on to this idea of well-being as being the center of morality. That, that's the hard part, I think. But once once you got, get someone to buy that, then the rest kind of logically follows. Like, okay, if you do care about well-being, then you'd have to imagine there's some spectrum that you could at least place, and then there would be some general landscape you could traverse. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that was like a theory. And I think um, my reaction to that is, you know, I think that there can be ways to, I guess, specialize or focus on morality as an issue. And like theorists have done it for God knows how long, but we always emphasize heroism to the point where I don't think well-being is really at the center of a lot of people's mindsets. Mm -hmm. Mental health, one of the worst like crises society faces to this day. Um, even in our common narratives and media and novels, time and time again, the main character is rarely ever someone who like is prioritizing well-being. Usually, it's usually someone who suffers, and we gravitate towards it. It's almost like human suffering is kind of a phenomenon of unity, of commonality, of understanding something and trying to figure shit out along the way and like I think sometimes that leads people to really just think that well-being isn't the priority and the priority is just solving our problems and I think well-being totally could be a solution to that or prioritizing it but it's just like the way that people react to it I don't think it's gone too well I don't know like what your thoughts are on that or like to what degree your skepticism around this idea of well-being as morality but like 
I think like people emphasize morality in the sense of like, like you said, being there for others in different capacities, but at points where we're all suffering already, and like there isn't this kind of like ideal state of well-being um, to kind of reach or establish that morality. Yeah. I mean, I think by default, it's like relativism just kind of makes sense. If you just look at the world and you're like, there are so many different cultures, people like are right. thinking about this in very different ways. And who's to say like, one is better than the other. It's just like, they're doing this and we're doing right. this. But if you did have some metric, right? Then you could say like, this is better than that. And maybe the metric would be like, where would I like to live? So that's like kind of the, sure. the more like goofy personal way of, of like, instead of like this well-being as an abstract thing, you would think like, oh, where would I want to live? And I guess, I guess the idea is like, maybe as a society, we can try to pick some certain values that we want to encourage, right? like mental health. That's something that we like, seems to be on the trend of us making more and more strides towards yeah. visible. Absolutely. But we could try to choose some values like, hey, if we pointed this out and got people to look at it, mm -hmm. then the, the long-term effect would be higher up on that moral landscape. So like, we don't call them moral scientists, but maybe a psychologist who's doing studies on mental health um they're like contributing to that like they're the people that we look to right you Absolutely. wouldn't just say like you wouldn't just say like um i'm gonna treat my kids however i want because i'm the parent and however i do it is exactly the way that it can and should be done yeah you would say something like okay it's up to me but let me hear what this person who's looked into this has to say about the empirical effects of Goes, goes back to that value you have of perspective that there's knowledge yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's so we'd like much. go to people who have something to tell us about. Mm -hmm. Like a political scientist might say, like, oh, if we set up a government in this way, then we can get things to run smoothly in a way that would be beneficial to everyone. So, like, maybe if we take a real big step back, like all the people who are like, studying things in the world yeah. they're maybe giving us information that could be used on the on the path to building a better society and and maybe this doesn't this job doesn't exist yet but we could have moral engineers who like take all this information that we we know about what makes people tick and see if we can design societies that would promote whatever metric whatever however we define well-being here we go. All right, moral engineers, values that we don't really know where we got them from, and uh, lots to think about when it comes to uh, this whole landscape of well-being. But that's our hour, Ashwin. So we did talk successfully for nice. <laughs> All right. It was fun. It was a good one. All right, I'm gonna.